0: We got a lot of guests lined up and a lot of conversations to have, including an update on the situation in Ukraine. It's probably been a week or two now since we got an update on the situation there, and it's something that we definitely want to stay on top of. Now, much of the fighting in recent weeks has been centered uh, around what's being called the battle for Bakhmut, and um, Ukraine has been inflicting heavy losses on Russian troops in the area, but that's not really translating to any progress or the opposite of progress, whatever that is. It's really a, a, a stalemate at this point. It seems to be almost static, and, and, and that's not good for any number of reasons. We're going to speak with James Horncastle now, an assistant professor and an Edward and Emily McQuinney professor of international relations at Simon Fraser University. James, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me this morning. Let's start with this battle for Bakhmut. Why has that become sort of the focus of this conflict in recent weeks? Why is it such a
1: centerpiece? It goes back to a couple of factors in the war, specifically in regards to Russia. Russia has kind of staked its claim for this conflict, um, what it sees as acquiring slash protecting what it sees as the ethnic Russian areas of Ukraine. They've kind of started a massive propaganda campaign, especially since things have gone sideways in the conflict, that they're trying to put Donetsk Luhansk. There's a little bit of kind of massaging the facts here with regards to Russia's stance. But in order for Russia to see the conflict as being successful, at the bare minimum, they need to end up taking the territory that the Donetsk and Luhansk people's republic claim. And Bakhmut is key to that. Also, with regards to Ukraine, Ukraine sees it as kind of a key test for a couple of reasons. First, Ukraine has started to transfer from simply trying to survive the conflict, which has done an admirable job of doing, to now trying to retake all the territory that the Russians end up acquiring during the initial phases of the conflict. And Bakhmut, especially amongst the political leadership, is seen as a key test of their ability to hold on to some of this territory. As well as with regards to preparations for what they see as a hopeful spring offensive, the coming most likely the coming weeks.
0: And like you say, Ukraine's been doing very well overall, and have you know it's not about surviving anymore. Now it's actually about reversing any losses. But uh, and they've inflicted heavy losses. If we talk just about this battle for Bakhmut, they really have. Um, But has that changed anything? Because it seems to be uh, nobody is sort of advancing in that area.
1: Yeah, there. The Russian forces, from what we can understand, and we have to know that kind of the information tends to be fragmentary. They're making minimal gains, but not really advancing that heavily around Bakhmut. They made some area, uh, some limited advances, but initially it was actually working to Ukraine's advantage because the Russian forces were taking extremely heavy casualties. They still are taking extremely heavy casualties. But what I'm seeing and starting to shift in recent weeks is that, A, the casualties that Ukraine is kind of inflicting proportionally are starting to go down. They're still inflicting more casualties upon the Russian forces, but slightly less than what it's been in the past. And with regards to Russia, the forces that are primarily suffering casualties are amongst the Wagner group. Now, the Wagner group has been active uh, for several years now. They've actually been active in kind of conflicts throughout the world, um, particularly Syria, for example. And they're previously kind of an elite military force. But as the conflict's gone on and they start to suffer casualties, they've actually gone to various extremes with regards to recruitment, including even actually recruiting uh, people from the criminal system in Russia. And essentially... They're using kind of human wave tactics where they're sending massive individuals to wear down the Ukrainian forces. They're suffering heavy casualties, but the casualties that are being inflicted aren't amongst primarily anyways the trained forces, mm-hmm. but instead these poor trained conscripts that have been called up and just more or less sent to the front to try to overwhelm the Ukrainian position. And in terms of kind of cost benefit analysis for Russia, these are troops that it can end up sacrificing in order to take out and limit kind of Ukrainian forces in the area. I
0: mean, you're talking about modern-day cannon fodder here, Jordan, or James.
1: Essentially, that's what they're doing, yes. It's kind of it's depressing to put it, be perfectly honest. It is, but yeah. Exactly it's awful. It. Yeah.
0: What does it mean to the larger conflict, though? Like you say, if they have this... Uh inexhaustible almost supply of, well, cannon fodder and people that they can continually replace them with where where Ukraine doesn't, um, but you have this war of attrition at some point, it reaches a breaking point, doesn't it? And tips things in favor of Russia at some point.
1: That's the fear, yes, because as we just know, Russia can basically afford to end up losing yeah. these individuals. And for Ukraine, Ukraine has uh, more limited reserves of individuals, And also the individuals that they're losing are more highly trained, to be perfectly honest. These are individuals who have skills, have gone through proper training. And it works to Russia's advantage because one of the elements with the Russian army during the conflict is it suffered overwhelming casualties in kind of the initial phases of the conflict. And they even had to go to the extreme of enacting a limited conscription of 300,000 people earlier or last fall. Now what's occurring is that these individuals, rather than being thrown immediately into the conflict, are at least gaining some time to figure out kind of a military footing. They're also starting to bond amongst basically their unit level, which is important for military efficiency. So essentially the Russian army is gaining a slight advantage here, where they get a chance to kind of train up their forces, whereas Ukraine is arguably sacrificing forces that are much more uh, much more valuable in the long term of the conflict. Um, so so where does this
0: where do we go from here? I guess what 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 are you keeping an eye on? Of course the weather is a factor always in this as well. And now we're heading into spring. Things often can change. What what are you watching? What do you think could possibly be the next development here?
1: The thing everybody is waiting for right now is the expected Ukrainian offense this spring. There's been some debate of, to whether Russia is trying to launch a spring offensive. Some have argued that they've already tried and it's failed. Um, we'll have to wait and see with that development. But the next kind of key factor in the war is going to be the expected Ukrainian offensive. And if they're able to take back significantly more territory, we're still kind of debating, like uh, scholars, analysts, it's admittedly a problem Be an armchair general sitting back looking at this. But they're going to be launching an offensive. You just don't know where and how effective it's going to be. The efficacy of this offensive is going to basically determine the next phase of the war because everybody's going to have to end up responding to it to one degree or another.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, James, thanks, thanks so much. Great insight. I appreciate your time.
1: Oh, thank you for having me this morning there.